Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. Having a group of friends can be really, really helpful in setting up a support system or even just feeling less isolated, especially if you're living alone. But today we are discussing specifically the importance of having close friends. And I'm joined by principal investigator at Michigan State University's Close Relationships Labs, Bill Chopik, to discuss the power of vulnerability in such close friendships and how it's different to a regular friendship. Hi, Bill. Love Lovely having you on the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing really well. How are you? Uh, fine, thank you. So tell us a bit more about what the Close Relationships Labs is and what you research there. So uh, it is a bit like it sounds. Uh, so there's no kind of deceiving. Um, we study how relationships and the people in them change uh, across situations and over time. Um, and that's the, all the holistic relationships in your life. So relationships with your family, relationship with your friends, relationship with your spouses. Um, and yeah, so we do this in all sorts of ways, really large longitudinal studies where we follow people in their relationships over time. And then we assess uh, if they're happy and healthy and maybe that had something to do with the relationships they made along the way. That sounds really specific and very, very interesting. So how long have you guys been doing all this research for? Uh, the lab has been around for the last eight years, and we've uh, published over 150 articles on relationships. That's really interesting, and I am very keen to learn a bit more about close friendships. Now, before we get started, we'd like to get to know you a bit better. This is the Have You Met Bill section. Uh, so, well, firstly, this is not a question I actually ask most of my guests, but I am curious. Does Bill stand for anything? Is it short for like a longer name? Yeah, it's uh, short for William. Yeah, that's the standard answer. I feel like most bills are Williams. I'm just kind of waiting for the situation for the day where a bill's not a William and what that would have stood for. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, today is not the day. Um, I should have surprised <laughs> you by saying it's uh, short for Larry. Yeah, that would have been a surprise. Do you have a favorite book? Um, I like a lot of different books, actually. Um, trying to nail down one is a little bit difficult. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Um, what about your most recent favorite? Okay. Yes, that's that's better. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I'm looking at my bookshelf right now to make sure what's the most thing I recent thing. Oh, I read a book of poetry, which I usually uh, don't do. It's a mm -hmm. little bit different, um, and it's called "Everyone at This Party Has Two Names." 
Mm-hmm. And the author is uh, Maudlin, a last name Maudlin. Right. And um, yeah, it's a little bit different than what I usually read. And it's kind of a series of short, mostly disconnected poems about kind of life and reflecting on, you know, how your life has changed. It has tons of relationship references in it. So oh. um, it was definitely, it felt a little bit like work, but mostly, mostly <laughs> for fun, mostly for fun. So what do you like about it? Uh, I think that I was really struck by one that I kind of saw uh, shared on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really loved it. And I thought, hey, maybe the rest of the book is also good. Um, so that's why I bought it. And um, yeah, I think that that particular poem was what you missed in the fifth grade. And it was kind of this weird nostalgic take of like, you know, getting back to what your life was like in the fifth grade. And a lot of it was sort of this deep reflective uh kind of examination of you know there's all these things that you think you missed but you know in reality it's you know trying to reclaim this part of people's lives when life was simpler and um yeah i just really enjoyed it yeah uh i really relate to that like relating to some form of art that that kind of reflects what you personally have been through um, and especially when artists put it in a way where like they just put it in a more eloquent way than you could ever do yourself. And um, that's very admirable. Do you have a favorite movie? Uh, so I'll I'll resist the recent uh, recency bias because I just saw Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I don't oh, want to get into Yeah, which one did you like more? Uh that's a tough question. Very political. Um, but <laughs> you know what? I, I like Barbie a little bit more because I think that I'll be able to rewatch it. Um, mm-hmm. Oppenheimer was a little bit more challenging. So, you know, it's rare that I want to sit down and watch a three hour biopic. But it was impressive for other reasons too. kind mm-hmm. of the spectacle of it, the acting. Um, but yeah, Barbie was a little bit lighter and more entertaining. So I think I give the slight edge to Barbie uh, yeah, in, this, in, this, in this case. Yeah. Uh, I personally haven't actually watched Oppenheimer yet. Uh, okay. It took me like a couple of months before I actually watched Barbie, I think. Uh, but I did hear that it was a lot darker or like like a lot more serious. And um, I heard that a lot of people watched Oppenheimer first, uh, mistakenly so, and then... Or they watched, oh no, they watched Barbie first and then they watched Oppenheimer and that was just like a mood dump. <laughs> yeah, you'd think it would be this uplifting, light uh, comedy and then yeah. it actually, yeah, dealt with some, yeah, yeah pretty kind of significant existential issues. Um, Did you watch them both in the day, in one day? No, no, I don't, I can't do, I, that's, I could yeah, not have done that. That's a lot of watching. That's like almost six hours of watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I saw Barbie first, um, and I don't know what that says about me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I like movies that make me think, and uh, you know, I love movies. So I, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind might have been my real answer of because we we do some work on kind of how memories make up who we are as people and what happens when those memories change or uh, they uh, kind of dissipate. And, um, so yeah, I like movies like that, uh, yep. where it's kind of this kind of deep, there's some comedic relief, although I like more simple movies, dumb movies, dumb comedies as well. So yeah, that. like just as much, it's just that, it's just that like sometimes these movies with like some kind of deeper meaning to it, 
do they do feel a bit more fulfilling to watch um yeah so do you have a favorite podcast i do um i have a few different ones uh probably my favorite is one called you're wrong about mm-hmm. what um, is it about you, it, it's really great so it, it takes um different things throughout history that most people only know really superficial things about um and it does a really deep dive into it, challenging kind of what you know. And yeah. the hosts are really fun, too. And um, there's a lot of comedic relief. And the episode starts, each episode usually starts with, um, so what do you know about this thing that happened in history? And then the co-host will be like, yeah, I sort of vaguely know these things, these things, and these things. Uh, and then the other host kind of did this really deep dive, did all this background research, and basically retells a story with more complete details and Mm -hmm. they just are really really good at it so um i really enjoy listening to that yeah i really like um stuff like that as well i i think i have been really into this youtuber recently not a podcast but similar in the sense of like he does a deep dive on all of these weird things that have happened on the internet including like viruses and stuff that you only know about um because you've seen it or you've experienced it and it's just like oh well it's a scam but there's like a deeper story to it and it's always really interesting to see all of that unfold um especially when the host is so um enthusiastic about what they're talking about uh it makes it really interesting um so do you have a famous role model uh, I can't say Barbie, or is that that's not allowed? No, um, no it's, it's allowed. If, oh, okay. Yeah, no. if Barbie's your role model, who, are, no, should, who am I to who am I to reject that? That's right. That's right. Um, no, I should pick someone who's yeah, not a fictional character. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, in the states, uh, you know, a few presidents are really admirable, and you know, good people that try their best. Um, so yeah, like Barack Obama was always somebody yeah. I kind of admired and looked up to. But um, as someone who's interested in personality, a lot of our time is spent witnessing people who do extraordinary things. So political leaders are one, world leaders are some, but also just people who have led extraordinary lives. Um, so when you think of really successful people like Bill Gates or mm-hmm. professional athletes, um, you know, who kind of overcome really kind of dramatic uh off to things that would derail the average person mm-hmm. and they kind of um rise to the occasion so for one example i grew up in chicago and i was a child when uh, michael jordan was at his peak and mm-hmm. that was just uh he was like everything in my world so yeah. uh and then as a person someone who's interested in personality psychology when a whole 10-hour documentary character study is released, I, I just jumped right into that. So. There are 10-hour documentary series on just yeah. character yeah. studies? Yeah, so that that was on the uh, 1990s Chicago Bulls dynasty, but he was the focal kind of person in that. But, oh, yeah, yeah, there's stuff on yeah, baseball, <laughs> the Beatles. Uh, yeah, so it's it, it sounds more boring than it, than it is. No, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was. It's like watching a soap opera, actually. So, yeah, uh, uh, no, I'm. It just boggles my mind because it's something that's so specific. I feel like character studies um, that I didn't. 
ever, not that I've ever given it much thought, but I just, it just never crossed my mind that something like that could warrant like a 10 hour documentary series. Um, but that's really interesting. And I will have to look that up. Um, so what's the last course you've completed? Uh, the last course I've completed, um, I recently took, um, a SQL course like database management. Um, oh. although I kind of love absorbing different courses. So mm -hmm. I recently retook a social psychology course. That was the first class I took in college. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, the internet is just full of like resources and yeah. And including you guys offering all these kind of things that people can consume and, yeah, so I, I kind of I kind of fell in love with psychology again by retaking this social psychology course. That's really nice. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from it? Uh, I think that there's this underappreciated thing that other people affect us, which I'm guessing we'll be talking about a lot today. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think a lot of people go about their day to day lives, you know, focusing on like what they do and assuming that they're relatively invincible to the influences of other people. And, you know, you're, you're kind of everything you do is like from you, uh, when in reality, like a lot of stuff we do every day is determined by other people, like whether we want to impress them, we want them to like us or to date us, uh, or to give us a promotion or to not fire us. Like mm -hmm. a lot of stuff we do every day is centered around other people. So, um, yeah, oh, a hundred percent. And I find that whenever I, I'm in a relationship or dating someone, I I find that I often absorb some of their interests. And like, yeah, sure, I might have had like a vague interest in it before, but definitely not as much as when I'm dating this person who has like an intense interest in this specific thing. Um, so definitely... Um, I think there's, there's yeah. entire research studies on that, how you merge with partners, how you adopt how they speak That's uh you adopt their language yeah. yeah 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 uh, i can definitely relate to the adapting to how they speak as well and um some of my coworkers have pointed it out that sometimes i use a kiwi accent and it's because like i dated this one guy who was cute who is who is he still he still is kiwi he's from new zealand and i just I just absorbed his accent a little bit. Um, it was just very infectious. Uh, it's a thing. It's totally yeah. a thing. Or their mannerisms too. Or, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank God. Because I, like, <laughs> I thought maybe that might have been a very weird thing to do. But it's nice hearing that it, that other people do it too. And it's normal. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to move into the interview section. The first question we like to ask, because it's it can be pretty subjective. How do you define personal development? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, we study lifespan development in our lab, especially about relationships. Um, so yeah, I, th I think in terms of personal development, it might be actively taking steps to achieve some sort of lifelong goal. Um, so for a lot of those people might be finding a really successful job or career. Some of them it's marriage or having children. Um, others are kind of finding leisure activities to do, you know, stuff to do for fun. Um, so in terms of, yeah, personal development, I would say, yeah, actively taking steps towards bettering, bettering yourself in some way. Uh, 
hopefully in light of you achieving some goal in the future. And what do you think are the main challenges for people who are pursuing personal development? Uh, yes, I mean, I've been studying psychology for, oh gosh, this will age me, um, <laughs> 15 years, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge people face is themselves, uh, that they kind of, a lot of times get in their own ways. They have kind of limiting thoughts that prevent them from fully pursuing the things that they want, or they get a lot of stuff in their head, uh, that, you know, is not the most healthy thoughts or ways of thinking. Um, you know, one example is that, you know, people struggle to like form friends and talk to strangers. And there's research to suggest that like, they're not the weird ones. They actually like want to talk to you. It's all kind of in your head. You think that talking to this stranger will be really, really cringe or be wildly uncomfortable. But, you know, in reality, they actually want social connection as well. But here's an example of a barrier where you have this thought in your mind that other people don't want to talk to you or strangers don't want you to bother them. Um, so, you know, a lot of stuff that we study in our lab has to do with people's own kind of frameworks about the world and how that prevents them from doing things that they think might make them happy. That is really, really apt. And I think the first time I've heard the answer to these be yourself. Uh, and But it's so true because if I think back to the times when I have had like a little bit of a rut in my personal development journey, it's always been because of some form of anxiety or something like that. And I'm just stuck in my own head and just keep overthinking about how like I can't go up to this post office um person because uh, they hate me or something or like I can't go to the doctor because like all these things uh, or all these people at the party just think that I'm really boring and so there's no point trying so I'm just gonna go home you know things like that um, and and it it's very very clear like when I like try and stop ignoring the thoughts I feel like I'm, I move on in life a bit better. Um, so yeah, that's a really apt way of putting it. And I actually never thought of that before. So how would you define having close friends? What, what is a close friend like? Like how does, how does it differ from a regular friend? Uh, so yeah, the, in terms of just general friends, a lot of it's just really simple. It's just two individuals choosing to spend time with each other. Um, and so in that case, like just having a regular friendship is really straightforward. But, um, you know, I think in terms of defining it, the field has usually said something like, you know, it's a voluntary relationship that people have. It usually provides some degree of like intimacy or assistance, like you're getting something from it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, basically the only kind of, elements of friendship is that people like each other and they want to hang out. Um, and then in, in terms of like close friendships, that would be say another level where um, you kind of include them in how you define yourself. So <laughs> like if I asked you what you're like as a person, the hope is that you would mention your friends at some point, like, oh, I like to do this with my friends. Friendships provide us all sorts of opportunities to like define ourselves. Like, am I a compassionate person? Am I a generous person? Am I a funny person? And am I am I a downer? Um, 
you know, partially how we define ourselves are through our friends. So um, close friendships have to do with, you know, a level of intimacy and assistance where um, I think the biggest step, the biggest criteria is, do you feel like you can go to them when something's wrong um, and that they, they would be responsive? So mm -hmm. uh, we call that perceived responsiveness. Do you kind of perceive that a friend would kind of be responsive to your time in need? Um, so that that's the critical thing that separates an acquaintance at like a coffee shop from uh, a good friend. So what is the importance of having close friends compared to having regular friends? Mm -hmm. uh, so having regular friends is good too. So, uh, you know, there's a whole literature suggesting that weak, weak ties are actually really good for you. So if you wanted to say get a job, uh, you know, a lot of times it's branching outside of your close friends because you, you know, your your close friends might not always be able to help you in that regard. But oh maybe yeah, hundred percent. In acquaintance in another place, but in terms of personal development, there's a few different ways they can help you. Um, one really simple way is that they give you assistance when you need it. So um, they can be a sounding board when things go wrong. They can cheer you up, um, and actually, the stress relief thing that friends give us is really, really underrated. So that's kind of a crucial reason why we hang out with friends by choice is because they make us feel better. Um, but beyond that, you know, there are things that we can talk to our friends about that we maybe can't talk to our family about. <laughs> um, and so imagine like you wanted to improve, maybe part of your personal development journey was improving things with your family or your marriage. Um, friends are the people we go to for advice about those things. Um, and, you know, they give us new perspectives. M the vast majority of friends have our best interest. You know, they want to see us succeed. Uh, again, they're hanging out with us by choice. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, my, my brother didn't do that growing up as we were sort of <laughs> in the same room. Uh, and we're friends now, thankfully. But, um, you know, friends sort of have this special place in our life where, you know, you can have as many friends as you want, but, you know, we only have a few close friends. And yeah, the idea is that they can help us. They can make us reflect on our goals. Um, mm -hmm. They can maybe give us some guardrails or help us be a little bit less delusional. Um, so yeah, a lot of times it's giving emotional support, sometimes practical support. Hey, can you help me, you know, move? Can you help mm -hmm. me read over this job application or this resume? Um, so there's a bunch of different ways that friends help us to, to grow as people. Yeah, and I... I am, I have, I have, so I'm going to repeat that because I just studied. Um, <laughs> I wonder, no, that's not the right word for it. My bad. Um, pause. Yes, I will. I'm still actually thinking of the word that I'm wanting to use because for some reason it's fallen out of my brain. So, um, cause it's not hypothesized. Oh, I suppose that was easy. Okay. <laughs> and I suppose there isn't really, um, a framework to building relationships with close friends or trying to to create close friendships or, or, or turn a regular friend into a close friend. I, I suppose there's no structured way to do that, but what are some like general things one can do to perhaps, you know, um, start building that close friendship? 
Uh, yeah. So you, you tapped into a question that we really, really try to narrow in on as a field. It's just been really challenging to do that, but I'll give you, I'll give I can you, imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. No, I'll give you what we know so far. Yeah, thank um, you. I love that. So, yeah. Um, so there, there are some researchers who think that it's just a matter of time. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a really, really interesting study where, um, this university of Kansas professor, Jeffrey Hall, I tried to quantify exactly how much time you need to spend with someone for them to become a close friend. Wow. Um, so it's a little, it's a little bit goofy and like yeah. he, he didn't meet it quite literally because, yeah. you know, I'm sure you've met people in your life that you hit it off with right away and it, mm -hmm. it goes really well and you, you seem like fast friends. And then some people you spend tons and tons of time with that you would never think of being friends with, uh, <laughs> you know, just by virtue, you hang out with them or you need to be around them. Um, so according to him, it kind of happens in tiers where, you know, you can spend say 20 hours with people, 200 hours. He thinks you need to spend about like 2000 hours for someone to move from, you know, like sort of just being yeah. a nice, good friend to being like an authentically close friend. Um, but of course it's sort of a ridiculous premise and mm -hmm. he admits that too, like it's it's meant to kind of show you need to spend like really deep quality time and a lot of time with someone. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. You literally have to spend time together. Mm -hmm. um, but you already knew that. Um, but then, you know, researchers have tried to build friend friendships uh, in the lab. So they tried to do it with people who are really dissimilar and disagree with each other. Um, so there, there's actually a few experiments that people try to do to build, to make friends. Uh, and, and those studies have given us a few tips. Um, so for example, one thing is that, um, like mutual disclosure is a good thing. So if I tell you something about my life, like, um, my role models, Barbie, uh, you're really <laughs> serious and you listen and you engage with that. You're like, Oh, Barbie, why? And, and even if you don't quite mean it and then i'll be like oh you know well you know she's an icon and she likes her friends and she thinks deeply about life and yeah and i suppose um, like like kind of not invalidating someone's values or like what they deem to be important to them it would be really important to build a close friendship because otherwise like it, like if i just shut it down and we're like oh that's so stupid you're never gonna bring bobby up to me ever again gonna be like this person doesn't like the idea of me liking Barbie why should I bring it up and then there's that like closure um yeah yeah and yeah so basically the the hope is that it gives you an opportunity to be a nice responsive person so yeah if you made fun of me I would never mention how much I love Matchbox 20 I you know I'll leave out all the you know other embarrassing things about my life but then also like legitimate things that I feel like we maybe could have bonded over so you know, a lot of those studies are about providing opportunities for people to build intimacy. And, um, you know, they, they range from kind of us joking about Barbie, for example, but then also like deeper things about kind of struggles you've had in life. And again, if you told me something like that, I'd be like, oh, you know, that sounds like a really significant thing. How did it change your life? You know, how did you process this? Um, are you still dealing with it? So all of this stuff is kind of the building blocks of like people getting to know each other. It, it also communicates that I like am a good listener and I want us to be friends. Um, so there's a bunch of things about just disclosing and being responsive and a good listener that we, we've tried to coach people and how to do that actually. Um, wow. And that's interesting. Yeah. It's, we've had some success. Um, 
And a lot of it is kind of just being responsive person and and, <laughs> and kind of active listening where, yeah. you know, you can tell that I'm absorbing the things you're saying. Yeah. Um, and so it yeah. sounds like vulnerability is really important when it comes to building these close friendships. How can one differentiate between vulnerability and trauma dumping? Yeah. 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 So th there's studies on that as well. So, um, you know, the vast majority of the time, disclosures are generally good um, as long as they fall within like a certain range or sweet uh -huh. spot. So, you know, me talking about Barbie for 45 minutes, like that's a relatively <laughs> straight. That's not crazy or yeah. maybe it is crazy. Um, no, it's not. Thanks. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. That's very responsive. I'll talk um, with you about Barbie for 45 minutes. But yeah, you were saying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's like a normal range of stuff we could talk about, like where where you're from, um, you know, the things you like, the things you don't like, the important values you hold dear. Um, so the vast majority of the time, people tend to like each other after they disclose things. And, you know, we take turns disclosing. Um, but then um, there's a sense in which uh, really radical disclosures actually turn people off. And that's where the trauma dumping comes in, where if you kind of disclose something way too fast, and especially stuff that's you know, maybe not socially sanctioned or something that is a little bit just kind of too out there. We we tend to really dislike those people. Um, so which which is a shame because a lot of trauma dumping is them taking the opportunity to tell us, you know, this really deep, informative thing about them. It's a core thing in their life. But, um, you know, unfortunately, it's, um, you know, it does backfire. So it, it is striking a balance. And unfortunately, the only way to kind of get a good sense of that is to try, have experience, see it go terribly wrong, and then <laughs> vow to never do it again. Um, in these um, investigations, have people ever tried trauma dumping and then not realized that they were doing it in the first place and still doing it over and over? And do they come back from it? Do they ever actually make friendships out of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they, the interesting thing is that a lot of times they'll be able to make friends because it, for some people, it does force some disclosure where, mm -hmm. oh, they're, they're, they are telling you something really deep about themselves. They skipped the small talk where you talk about the weather. Yeah, um, yeah there hasn't been as much work on kind of um, backtracking and then jumping back in. Um, in terms of dumping anything, uh, not even just trauma, just like talking too much. Uh, <laughs> You know, if you don't give other people a chance to disclose, then that really does disrupt it. So the key is that we take turns that like you, you're able to kind of voice things about yourself and I'm able to listen. Um, and that that's why it works. The fact that one person isn't dumping the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's actually more why it might not work. Not necessarily the content of the drama, although that could it might be more of the dominating of the discussion when we met five minutes ago. Right. And so if one party is actively disclosing and the other party is actively listening, but not taking the initiative to disclose, what can the first party do to make them feel a bit more comfortable? 
Uh, yeah, it's tough when one person is just, is uh, kind of withholding uh, and not being a part of it. It feels awkward. I feel like yeah. I told you all these things about me and yet you're not reciprocating. Um, yeah. And at the same time, you don't want to pry or probe farther into, you know, uncomfortable territories and you have no idea what's fine and what's not. So yeah. what advice yeah. do you have for that? Yeah. So, so the key to why it works isn't really exactly the content of what you're saying all the time. A lot of it's just giving them opportunities to hopefully behave authentically where they can be a responsive listener and and you can be a listener too. So a lot of times um, centering their emotional experience about something. So asking what they think of something or um, acknowledging maybe, hey, I've been, you know, I've been talking a lot. You know, what do you think about this? Or mm-hmm. um, you draw in some, basically give them an opportunity or a prompt for them to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um because there are some people who find it really uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. But if you kind of explicitly say it, you're giving them license and space to say, no, this is, I'm giving you space in this conversation to talk. And I, you have my undivided attention. So I am going to listen, process it, respond to it. Asking follow-up questions is also a really great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Things that they say, it shows that you're engaged, it shows that you're listening. Um, one really great thing is that we also study how people respond, how they should and how they do respond to when people tell like good or bad news. Mm-hmm. And, and there's more effective ways to kind of respond when people tell you good stuff. Like a lot of it is trying to amplify the experience. Like, oh my God, you got this promotion. How did it feel? Like when they told you, like, what was your first thought? Like, what's the first thing you did when you heard? And like, you know, I, I know you worked really hard for this and, you know, yeah, so you know, if you're if you're able to kind of enhance the positive emotions mm-hmm. of an experience, then you get them talking, you get them to re-experience that positivity. So, you know, there's a few different tricks you can use within a conversation to, to oh, make yeah. it go better. Oh yeah, and also I I suppose it's kind of similar to if they come to you with some form of news about themselves and you and maybe they're not experiencing or they're not showing the emotion and you express the emotion, the positive emotion towards them, and then they'll absorb that and feel happy for themselves. And they'll remember that you make them feel happy about themselves. And that's kind of like a reciprocation there or some form of bonding there. Um, yeah. So it doesn't always have to just be about um, talking can be about exchanging emotion as well. Um, yeah. So now we're going into the practice slash habits section where we ask you some questions about applying the all of what you shared with us in our everyday lives. Um, so what is a practice that you do to improve the quality of your relationship with your close friends? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So one thing I try to do is amplify positive experiences, like I, like I just said. So, uh, so for example, I had dinner with a friend last night, and he just got back from Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a million questions ready to go about yeah. his experience. <laughs> um, and the truth is, like, he actually didn't love the trip, unfortunately. So um, there's a bunch of different. Uh, they had two small children, and that Aww. made things a little hard and yeah um, traveling with yeah. babies is is frustrating sometimes totally and i and i knew that going in i'm like okay well i'm gonna let him kind of vent about <laughs> all the things that 
were the most annoying thing the last, mm -hmm. I think he went there for like two weeks or something really mm -hmm. kind of a long time. Um, so, it, it, so I knew this was coming and I let it, I let him do it. Cause I think he just needed a non family member to talk yeah, to about, about this. So I yeah. don't, you know, he's not going to complain to his two year old daughter about how, <laughs> but how annoying she's been and what yeah. a burden she's been. <laughs> that's strictly a bill conversation. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and you know, I, I do what you had said earlier where I kind of listen with no judgment. I know that it's very stressful to travel with young kids. But so what I did then is I, I said, you know, what, what was like your two favorite parts of the trip? So um, one thing is that it made him attend to the positive aspects of the experience. Um, and I think that that's generally a good thing. So we we study that as well, kind of emotional well-being and kind of where it comes from and how you can cultivate it. And a lot of it is kind of at least acknowledging like the positive parts of an experience. So, um, you know, I let him vent about that thing. And then he said he had like the most amazing meal in his life. And, and of course, there's so many questions like, oh, what'd you have? And like, what made it so great? And like, were you, was it paired with wine? Was it... You know, oh, was I'm it getting after a long day? thinking about this now. Oh, yeah. And like, do you have photos? Can you show me photos yeah. so I can look at it? And, um, you know, 30 minutes later, he had totally forgotten about kind of how annoying the most annoying parts of it were. And here we are, like, again, I tried to amplify it, get him to relive that experience. And, you know, you can do it with all sorts of things that, you know, that's just an example, but like, you know, what are you really excited about this weekend? What, um, you know, what was your favorite part about, um, you know, your day or, you know, what are you looking forward to most? Why are you looking forward to that the most? Like, it seems like it's really important to you. Have you done something like that before? And, you know, you know a lot of it is sort of just trying to take a genuine interest in other people um, and then trying to steer it to a positive place. And are there any challenges that come with doing this practice? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, everything is not always positive. So, mm -hmm. it, you know, sometimes it's impossible. Um, but, you know, I think we, we've done studies where we've tried to s examine like why friends stay together. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a voluntary relationship where you choose to spend time together. Um, at any point, you could say you don't want to hang out with them uh, or you can, you know, fade away. You can kind of ghost and, you know, stop contacting each other it, you know you, people don't most people don't do that with their families um and um the one thing that you know we measured all sorts of things about friendship dyads we did this study where we followed friends and if they broke up and really the only thing that kept them together you know it wasn't oh you've been friends for 20 years and you feel trapped and you can't dump them it's not that like uh you don't have any other friends or you don't have any other options. This is your only friend. The only thing that really kept people together was the fact that they liked each other. <laughs> so, you know, the thing that kind of kept people together is like they enjoyed spending time together and like even in the absence of really positive things, delicious Italian meals or, you know, work promotions, you know, just having a listening ear can be a really pleasant experience too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, I came and I complained to a friend and all they did was listen and support me and you know validated my feelings um and you know a lot of those discussions can be really negative but the fact that you can leave that interaction feeling really positive because you had this friend that was really responsive so um you know even in times of tragedy and sadness there are opportunities to be a good friend 
Yeah, uh, I do agree with that. I feel like every time I go through some kind of um, stressful situation or just a very distressing experience, talking to a friend about it, um, verbalizing all of it to someone who's listening can help me feel a bit better and help it feel more manageable as well. Um, and also it's not like my therapist is on call like 24-7, you know, and it's really expensive. So having a close friend there to help be like a little soundboard, sounding board um, can be really, really helpful. Uh, yeah. So now we're moving on to questions from the audience. Uh, first question is, how frequently should we express this vulnerability with our close friends? Is it advisable to do so const like constantly or would it become burdensome on their part having to continually hear about our life problems? Yeah, so I mean, again, the reason people stay together is because as friends is because they like each other and you know, things that jeopardize that are generally not good. So actually vulnerability and authenticity are good things. Um, but also like another thing that uh, shows that, you know, you can build friendships between people is doing kind of new and exciting things that are filled with positive emotion. So they've done these studies too, where they have people go through like obstacle courses together, or they, they haven't quite had them like jump out of airplanes with parachutes and stuff, but um, they've had them do like physical exercise and things. And um getting people outside their comfort zone a little bit gets them to kind of expand their sense of self, what they find is new and exciting. And then actually the fact that you and a friend kind of shared that together helps you become closer too. So um, variety is kind of a spice of friendship too. So, um, you know, it, it is not great to kind of constantly dump on your friend about all your vulnerabilities. And um, it's also a sense where maybe you lack a little self-awareness where maybe you're maybe not engaging with them as thoughtfully too. Um, but yeah, so th there's tons of other things you can do. Shared experiences, you know, those are kind of the building blocks. So just spending time together is sometimes, it's a necessary component. And then a lot of times it gives us opportunities to to do other things other than kind of tell people of all the terrible things that are happening to us. <laughs> so on the other hand, um, as the friend acting as the supporter, how can we set healthy boundaries to ensure that we preserve our own mental well-being while still being a source of comfort for others? Is there even a way to do it all? Yeah, well, I mean, friends, again, it's a bit of a blessing and a curse in the sense that, you know, it's a voluntary relationship. So in one sense, it's really precarious and, you know, it could end at any moment, um, especially if you don't have a big shared history. Um, yeah, it's really difficult because friends will go through kind of long stretches of time when things just aren't going very well, right? Um, you know, I think it's very, very hard to get friends out of those ruts. But the one thing within our power are things like being an active listener and, and trying to um, kind of be responsive. But it's important to kind of prioritize your own health, mental health as well. So you know, if you feel like a friend is really, really draining on you, you know, one good thing you could do is suggest a bunch of opportunities for you to maybe grow as a friendship, kind of grow as friends in other ways too. So 
you could try something new. That's also really good at distracting people from their life troubles. So uh, inadvertently, it might make them feel better too. So you got to set boundaries. But then one way you can kind of sneakily do it is by, um, (laughs) you know, choosing choosing fun things to do. Would it be like, oh, um, I saw this exhibition going on this weekend. Would you like to check it out? Or like, oh, there's an escape room thing in the city. Do you want to go? There's this theme. And... Well, they're not going to trauma jump on you during the escape room, surely. So that would be fun and that would take their mind off of things. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those are great, great examples too about also like your shared attention is directed towards, you know, escaping out of the room or attending to the artwork in the gallery or um, also like friend dates, like going on other, going in activities with other friends is also Mm -hmm. like a good opportunity too where you know, it dilutes the experience a little bit because it's not all about them. Mm-hmm. And actually it requires attention for them to kind of bond with other people too. So, so yeah, so um, I know it sounds like a distraction or you're trying to cop out of it, but uh, of them dumping on you. But, you know, in reality, it, it's more like it gives them an opportunity to broaden their perspective where, oh, look, we looked at all this beautiful artwork or we went on this wonderful hike or we went on, you know, this escape room that was you know, we really stunk at it, but that was part of the fun is that we kind mm-hmm. of didn't escape and we kind of fumbled it. Um, so th- those are all kind of chances to be better friends. Yeah. And in a way, it's it doesn't necessarily have to like you don't have to look at it as like copping out or trying to distract them or babysit them or something like that. It could just be simple as like, oh, this is how I think my friend's going to feel better. Um, yeah. And that's how mm-hmm. I think I can support them through it. Yeah. If it so, comes from a place of kindness, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Because they're yeah. your peer, right? Yeah. They're not, they're it's not all, a child. Yeah. It's all about perspective, I guess. Yeah. Um, so those are all the questions that we have for you today. Now we move on to the open mic where you have about 10 minutes to talk about whatever that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to the topic. It can be though, uh, if you want it to be. Um, yeah. The floor is yours. Okay, so this is why Barbie is the greatest movie <laughs> of the last. Um, no, uh, so yeah, just, um, you know, we spend a lot of our time uh, thinking about and researching friendship and relationships, how to make them better, you know, why they go poorly. Um, so we spend a lot of time and energy looking at that. But uh, more broadly, um, I think our lab is shifting focus and we're kind of being more secure, more, more kind of... Um, kind of worried about uh, if people have friends or if they have enough friends or if they have really meaningful friendships. So, you know, the the questions today, a lot of them kind of centered around things people really struggle with. Like, I sometimes feel like a friendship is a burden. How do I set boundaries or how do I kind of make my friend feel better? Um, How can I make, how can I make friends? How can I make really enriching friends? And I've always viewed it as this really great irony where we we make friends our whole lives. You know, when you think about when you're younger, there's no reason why you should have been friends with, other, you know, other children. You're sort of just thrown in the same room and you kind of, it kind of just works. Um, and that's a really fascinating thing about, thing about humans is that we're a social species and inevitably we're able to form relationships uh, and meaningful ones and we seek that out and the vast majority of people want that in their life. Um and we have all this experience we've been doing it our whole life. And then when people hit adulthood, 
they really struggle with it. Um, and that's one thing that we just find really, really interesting where you've had this experience, you know, it's important and yet you still struggle to do it. Um, and that's a modern problem. You know, when you compare, um, polling from say, even the last couple of years of the pandemic to people from the nineties or people from, you know, the mid two thousands, the number of people who say they have a really close friend has really declined, uh, mm -hmm. in the last 30 years. Um, have even though, like, sorry. yeah, yes. no, yeah, uh, go ahead. no, I'm just curious. Um, what it have you guys found a reason for that? For why people find it more difficult to um, make close friends it, when they're adults? No, so it's a it's a mystery. So it's unequivocally happening where people want friends and they're struggling and they don't have as many. Um, <laughs> and I think that that actually is contributes to a lot of like mental health crises and. The fact that you don't have a friend to talk to. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of different theories about it. Um, so one theory is that like social institutions have kind of um, declined the last 30 years. So uh, when I think of, say, people my parents' age, there was um, tons of like local bowling leagues and community centers and neighborhood events. And there was this general perception of trust uh, around people that they were neighbors with. So um, some people think that that's one of the reasons is that there's just not many opportunities to meet people, um, within your lifetime, there's, that's partially true. So one of the reasons why you made all those friends is because you went to school with them, mm -hmm. uh, and you spent at least eight hours a day with them. Um, and then you become an adult and you just don't have that infrastructure. So that's really reasonable, right? Like, oh, you're yeah. just not around a ton of people. Like if you go to university, like you're around a bunch of people your age. Who all want to be friends um but yeah when you're an adult there's just fewer opportunities so that that's one explanation other people think that like it's uncertainty about the world like maybe you feel unsafe in some way and that restricts kind of your ability to make friends um some people will blame technology um and i don't think that that's quite the reason i think it's often used as a scapegoat for like all the problems in the world um yeah. But also technology has been really amazing at connecting people. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I'm talking, you know, we're talking now and we live on different continents. Yeah. It also um, seems like all, like almost always in these situations, it always seems like the obvious answer because my parents' generation versus my generation, what's the comp what like what's the main difference? Technology. And that's like the most simplest like the simplest answer um so how close or far are you guys to finding out like to getting to, to the bottom of this yeah so um i i think we've we've been trying a few different strategies so one thing is that when you remind people about hey you've done this before and actually like other people also want to be your friend that actually does a lot to kind of break down the barriers so um there are these studies where they'll, um, you know, survey people on subways and kind of public transport. And I don't know about you, but I like never speak to strangers in those situations. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I usually I, don't. I try yeah, not I, to. Yeah, I stare at the ceiling or listen to music. Um, yeah. So, um, but, you know, and part of it is like I, I feel nervous about reaching out to other people or me asking, hey, what book are you reading on when they're, you know, when we're traveling um, or making small talk? 
but but again there is this like empathy gap where tons of people want relationships and want friendships but there is this barrier so when you try to educate people about that like hey there's a whole busload of people here that you could presumably have really meaningful connections with or you know when you're sitting waiting for something or uh hey you've you know keep seeing a coworker, but you haven't really ever had a deep conversation with them odds are they're thinking the same thing uh where you know they're you know maybe oh maybe i should say hi or like literally learn anything about this person's <laughs> life so actually we, we we're doing this really goofy studies where we just give people like a list of facts about how to make friends and yeah. it's as if it's like the holy grail of truth or that it's <laughs> this amazing reveal uh but in reality a lot of it is just reminding people that they're perfectly capable of forming these relationships and um that that's been helpful and and then the hope is that you know some of those things are actionable if you kind of just remind people that hey for thousands and thousands of years humans have been able to do this and you can do it too uh you just have to kind of broaden Step, your perspective yeah. and yeah try it so having said that it takes a ton of effort to make a really good friend it does, and it takes a lot of guts to step out of your comfort zone uh, and try something new well thank you so much bill for answering all my questions today uh it was great to learn about the importance of close friendships and how to be vulnerable i learned so much uh if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do where can they go yeah, we have a dedicated lab website. Uh, it's called uh, chopiclab.com. Chopiclab.com. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, you can find all of our papers on there and the current stuff we're working on. And you can meet us and yeah, we can be your friend. All right. Amazing. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll link chopiclabs.com in the show notes and we'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Self-Improvement Atlas, the Personal Science Insights Podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.